Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of Killer Hangover. Woohoo! I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And today we're going to share a true crime and paranormal stories from Nebraska. Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) And Bethy, since you have the paranormal, you also have the drink. What are we having? So, I brought your favorite again. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm actually really excited about this beer, though, because it's a Hefeweizen, which I know is actually one of your favorite kinds of beer. It is. So, this is from the Nebraska Brewing Company, and it's called EOS. Hefeweizen. I hope it's not called like EOS. Is it EOS maybe? Or EOS? I think it's EOS maybe you choose. because it's a name. It's another grocer grocer situation here. <laughs> <laughs> but it says that it's named after the goddess of the dawn. Is It's fitting for the golden aspects of the color and striking aromatics. Aromatics. <laughs> this unfiltered Bavarian style Hefeweizen beer delivers i did send her to school just in case you're wondering (laughs) medium body and a huge banana like aroma b a n a n a s it's rolling her face at me (laughs) it's drinkable no it is a wonderful drinkability unlike many others immensely pleasurable all right well let's so the top is really weird how do you open this i don't know let's pull a tab and find out oh Two snaps. Oh, like the whole. Oh, the whole lid comes off. The whole off. top comes off. Well, oh, that's fancy. Different. Okay, first of all, as soon as you open it, it smells like banana. <laughs> I'm talking into the beer can <laughs> and not <laughs> my microphone. <laughs> One sip will do you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> It smells like banana, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's delicious. It really is. It's my kind of... Oh, that's of... very tasty. It's very light. It's not hoppy or anything. It's very light. And it's very easy to drink mm-hmm. with the whole lid coming off. Yeah, this is fun. I think All I'm right. still going to pour mine in the glass, though. Yes, yeah, so because... we can actually cheers instead of cans. We can actually clink instead of thunk. <laughs> Okay, so, good choice, kiddo. Yeah. All right. All right, Mom. Kick us off with the true crime story, please. All right. As you are enjoying your Hefeweizen, I am going to talk about Charles Starkweather. Ever heard of him? Not ringing any bells in my head, (laughs) Mom. (laughs) It doesn't ring many bells. In many people's heads is what you said in another episode. So just repeating. I come up with really good things. Yeah, you got some (laughs) loose cookies up there for sure. (laughs) All right. The mad Nebraska January of 1958. Let me tell you about Charles Starkweather. He was born in Lincoln, Nebraska on November 24th, 1938. He was the third of seven children. Yikes, seven kids. His father worked as a carpenter but had terrible arthritis, so he could not work full-time. His mother supplemented the income by working as a waitress. So, pretty average, working-class family. 
Charles actually had a very happy childhood, but not a very happy education or going through school. Mm. He was born with a mild birth defect. It's called genuvarum. It's basically the word for bow legs, but he had severe bow legs. He also had a speech impediment. So you put all those together and you have a kids to make fun of them. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of bullying, and this started in grade school and continued on through high school. He was not real um, smart, and so he really struggled in school. The one class that he really excelled in, though, was PE or gym. Because he excelled in all in more physical Physical activities, activities, Mm -hmm. he grew bigger and stronger, Mm -hmm. which meant... Then he turned on the kids that had bullied him. He becomes the bully. Mm-hmm. It's a vicious circle, that bullying, I tell you. It was said that during high school, Charles changed from a mild-mannered and well-behaved teen into one of the most trouble-causing teens in the community. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, the other thing, he loved James Dean. Now, you do uh, know who James Dean is. I know is. who that is, <laughs> okay. yes. He had seen Rebel Without a Cause mm-hmm. and totally fallen in love with the actor. Mm-hmm. He pictured himself as James Dean. And Aww. if you look at pictures of him, um, he styled his hair, the flip back hair he wore, okay. the jean jacket, the jeans, the white t-shirt with the rolled up sleeves and the cigarette. You know, I mean. Uh, why am I picturing Grease? <laughs> well, you Very can, similar. Just you can picture a, not Greece. a leather jacket; it's a jean jacket. Gotcha. You can picture Greece, and yeah, it was that time, I guess. And I mean, James Dean was cool, mm-hmm. cooler than cool. And so this guy saw him that he always had a cigarette dangling from his mouth, like yes. James Dean did. His friend Bob von Bush is quoted in a book uh, titled "Starkweather: The Story of a Mass Murderer" by William Allen. And he's quoted as saying, he could be the kindest person you've ever seen. He'd do anything for you if he liked you. Hmm. He was a hell of a lot of fun to be around, too. Everything was just one big joke to him. But he had another side. Mm. He could be mean as hell. In fact, he could be cruel. If he saw some poor guy on the street who was bigger than he was, better looking or better dressed, he tried to take the poor bastard down to his size. Oh, gosh. Really rebel without a cause. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he, I can't describe him. He was just, in his own mind, he was cooler than cool. Yeah. And if you see pictures and stuff of him, you'll realize what I mean. Just a cocky has to be better than them all. When Starkweather was 18, an old girlfriend introduced him to her 13-year-old sister. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Way to go. Oh, gosh. Carol Ann Fugate. He must have been pretty enamored with Carol Ann because he quit high school during his senior year and got a... She's 13? Mm-hmm. So she's in junior high. Mm Mm-hmm. He got a job at the Western Union newspaper warehouse that was close to the junior high she attended so that he could see her every day. Now, his boss said of Starkweather that he was a bad employee. Quote, Of all the employees we had, he was the dumbest man we ever had. Oh, my gosh. Starkweather happened one day to be teaching Fugate how to drive when she wrecked the car. Now, this wasn't his car. 
It was his father's car. Oh, no. So his father did pay for the damages, but sent Charles packing. Oh. It was probably the last. The last straw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stark Weather quit his job at the Western Union Warehouse and got a minimum paying job as a garbage collector. At this point in his life, he had a pretty pessimistic view of life itself. Another garbage collector bad guy. I know, right? Mm. So he looked at his existence as totally pointless. Mm. I, I have no reason to be here. I don't know why I'm here. I mean, he came up with the philosophy, dead people are all on the same level. Think about that for a second. Oh, that's really dark. And it's really deep, too, for somebody, for somebody who's but, not but, very smart. Dead people are all on the same level. That's kind of sad. With this kind of meaning of life philosophy, is it any wonder that on November 30th, 1957, 19-year-old Starkweather exchanged angry words with Robert Colbert, who was a gas station attendant. Starkweather ended up pointing a shotgun at Colbert, stealing $100 from the cash register, driving Colbert to a remote area, and shooting him in the head. The killing spree had begun. Oh, gosh. Now, from just a little bit more detail, Starkweather wanted to put something yet again on credit Mm -hmm. at this little gas station place. And Colbert said, no, you already owe us, you know, so much money. And that was all it took to put Starkweather into a tizzy, I guess. Oh, gosh. So on that was November 30th. On January 21st, 1958, Starkweather went to Carol Ann's house to pick her up. She hadn't come home from school yet. Her parents have to be so happy she's dating this guy. Her mother, Velda Bartlett, told Starkweather that he could no longer date her daughter. Yeah. See? Told you. (laughs) (laughs) An argument ensued. He picked up a rifle (gasps) and he shot her to death. No. Carol Ann's stepfather, Marion Bartlett, came into the room, was immediately shot to death. Oh, my gosh. Then Starkweather proceeded to strangle and stab to death little Betty Jean, who was Carol Ann's two-year-old stepsister. <gasps> now, here's where the oh, stories no. vary. Did Carol Ann know about the murders? Or was she abducted and an abused victim? One site said that to avoid people prying, she and Starkweather put a sign on the door stating that in that all in the house had the flu, so stay away. So that was put, that in fact was put on the door. Did she and Starkweather both do it or just Starkweather? I mean, she had to obviously know that her parents and her family were dead. So, oh, I see what you're saying. So either she had part in hanging that sign or she was like held hostage and Okay, so one story says that she was part of the killing. She was home, actually, when he killed the parents and the little girl and then they hung out for a week watching tv having sex and gorging themselves on fast food she though has always said that she wasn't home she was at school when she came home starkweather said that she had better go with him or else he would kill her family and and right now they were being held somewhere and all he had to do was say the word and they would be then he would kill her, them. So she went along as a victim. Now, is there like proof that she was at school? 
Or the, the, we don't know. We don't know exactly when they were killed. So I mean, do we not trust to the. Her or do we not trust her? Well, that's just the. It's just the beginning of this whole, this whole thing. Mm. After a week, a relative finally called the sheriff to check, do a well check on the house, and of course, he found the dead bodies, but no Starkweather or Carolan. So they had fled. The pair drove then to Bennett, Nebraska to the farmhouse of a 70-year-old family friend, August Meyer. Of hers or his? Of his. Okay. I think that he had um, been allowed to hunt on the property before, and that's how we knew him. Starkweather shot him to death, killed his dog, and stole his car. Killed a dog? (sighs) Kills two dogs in this story. But anyway. Killing the people is bad, too. Don't get us wrong. (laughs) dogs after wrecking the car and so they wrecked the car i forgot how and they got out they were fine they got out but they totaled the car and they started walking they have a good track record with cars (laughs) it keeps going (laughs) oh great (laughs) they were picked up by two teenagers robert jensen and carol king no don't pick them up using the shotgun starkweather forced robert to drive to an abandoned site no he shot him in the back of the head he tried to rape Carol, what? but was unable to accomplish that. Don't ask me how, whether physically or what. He became angry and shot her to death as well. Oh, my gosh. Now, later in the trial, oh, poor girl, Starkweather admitted to killing Jensen. So Robert Jensen, he said, yep, I killed him, but I did not kill Carol King. It was Carol Ann who shot King because she was jealous that I had tried to rape her. Interesting. But Fugate testified that she was in the car the entire time because she is a victim. I don't trust her. I mean... He, he, he comes clean and says that he did the one. Why wouldn't he come clean and say he did the other two? I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you shaking my head like our listeners can see that, but I know. And if... I, I'm sorry, but if he was trying to rape Carol, he was occupied um mm-hmm. why didn't she try to escape i mean right. I just, she's just sitting in the car no that doesn't make any sense i don't know i i they stole jensen's car okay so okay. they left the bodies now they're driving jensen's car starkweather and fugate proceeded on to lincoln where they ventured into a wealthy subdivision um now i read that this subdivision is a place where starkweather would drive the garbage truck so he had been in this area okay. before. So he knew it. They broke into the home of C. Lauer and Clara Ward. Just randomly. Maybe he had scoped it out. It was it was exactly down. If you're driving down the street and it would be facing you at the stop. You know, you either had wow. to turn right or left, but the house was right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. See, we looked at a house that was like that when we were looking to move. And I did not like that. It's almost front and center. Right. And that's, we loved the house, but I did not like the location. That's really scary. It's really there. A little tidbit about Beth. Okay, go on. (laughs) The couple was out, but their maid Lillian Fency was home. Starkweather stabbed her to death, as well as the family dog. At trial, he admitted to stabbing Lillian once, but stated that Fugate stabbed her several times. Lauer and Clara returned home and were shot to death. 
Starkweather and Fugate stole jewelry and Lauer's car and now turned their sights to Wyoming. By this time, there was a manhunt out for the pair, especially since Lauer and Clara were very prominent members of the community. Mm -hmm. And so the police really were pushed to solve this crime. Those are killing people left and right, too. Even the Nebraska National Guard was called in to help with the block-by-block search. Oh, my gosh. It was too late. The couple was gone. And just think, like, you're right. There are so many opportunities there that she could escape. I mean, now he's... I mean, I don't... I mean, she's a victim. I don't know if she really is a victim. I don't want to... I don't want to criticize that because I don't know necessarily what I would do in her shoes. But I feel like I'm a fighter. And I feel like if I was in that situation, if I saw any way to get out i would even just running to the neighbor's house and knocking on the door but remember she's 13 14 years old so yeah. she's really young and she's think according to her story she's thinking that she's saving her family mm. by staying with him Starkweather and fugate happened on merrill collison now they'd been driving they finally came to wyoming and they knew they had to find a new car because they they knew people were after them so merrill collison was a salesman and he was traveling from town to town and so he had pulled over to take a nap so he's sleeping in his buick on the side of the highway minding his own business they stole collison's car shooting and killing him in the process now starkweather claimed that fugate shot collison stating that she was quote, the most trigger-happy person he had ever met. Of course, Fugate stated she had never killed anyone. Wow. Now here's where fate steps in. And if you've heard me reporting <laughs> reporting live, if you've heard me before, oh you know I love these fate. Why'd we give her a microphone? <laughs> <laughs> you know I love these fate things. So yes. it seems that the Buick had its parking brake on. And Starkweather... Didn't know anything about parking brakes. Well, sounds like you. Sounds like me, I know. <laughs> oh, I never use parking brakes. Uh, wasn't it my husband who parked yeah. your car? And he you parked my car. And, and she drove up the road with Thinking, there is something wrong with oh, my car. Boy. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously was experiencing problems with the car when another driver stopped to help. The driver was threatened with a rifle. Oh my God, he stopped to help you, dude. And an argument ensued. Well, this argument happened that a sheriff was passing by. Heck yeah, man. He saw the argument and he stopped. Starkweather jumped in the car and drove off, driving 100 plus miles an hour. Now, don't ask me about on. the parking brake <laughs> because I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that the cow, a uh, cow. I don't think the car. Oh, Where did a cow come in there, George? George. <laughs> okay, so he drove off driving 100 miles an hour. Okay, now here I read differing details again. One states that Fugate was the one who ran to the sheriff, waving him down, saying, It's Stargate. He's going to kill me and my family. Another account has it that she was in the car chase with him. So I don't know for sure on that one. As the car chase ensued, the sheriff shot his gun and shattered the windshield of the Buick. 
the glass cut Starkweather. He stopped and surrendered. According to the January 30th Associated Press release, Converse County Sheriff Earl Heflin is reported. Sorry. (laughs) No, just Heflin. Sorry. Is reported as saying, he thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is. (laughs) (laughs) Any excuse for you to give an impersonation there, Mom? I kind of liked that quote, though. (laughs) Now, here again is a little irony. Thinking that both of the states, Wyoming and Nebraska, because he had killed in both states, had death penalties, it wouldn't really matter which state he was tried in. So Starkweather chose Nebraska. Here's the twist. The Wyoming governor at the time opposed the death penalty. Oh! (laughs) But Starkweather didn't know that. (laughs) Wrong flip of the dime, I guess. I don't know. At first, Starkweather said that Fugate had nothing to do with the murders, that he did everything, that she was a victim. Then his story changed, and he testified against her at her trial. As for Fugate, she always said that she was a victim, that Starkweather held her hostage by threatening to kill her family, who, of course, were already dead, but she didn't know that. The judge disagreed with her statement, saying that she had plenty of opportunities to escape, Mm -hmm. but had not. I really hope she really wasn't a victim then. At the trial, Starkweather's lawyer told the jury that Starkweather's IQ was, now this is, of course, to get him off of the death penalty, but I think he had some (laughs) right to say this. Starkweather's IQ was, quote, only a point or two above an idiot. (laughs) Oh, God. That's what I want on my defense. (laughs) Trying to keep him from receiving the death penalty. In contrast, the ever-cool Starkweather said that he was meant to die. I think in his head, being electrocuted was, quote, cooler or more cool than... He doesn't care. Like, than he's just be- so He didn't want to be known as an idiot. Right. So he'd rather be electrocuted right. than being known forever as an idiot. Right. Starkweather was sentenced to death for the murder of the teenager Robert Jensen. And on June 25th, 1959, Starkweather was executed by electric chair in Lincoln. Wow. So one report that I read was that ever cool. He just like nonchalantly swaggered <laughs> whatever to the chair. Oh, God. And sat down. And do you know his last words or his last meal or anything like that? I don't think he even wanted a last. Wow. It was he was just. That's what I mean. He w- I can't even describe how this guy, if you see pictures, it all makes sense. Okay. I, don't, I don't know why, but it does. And then he just sat in the chair like he was sitting and doing an interview or something with somebody. So what happened to her? Well, it happens that he is buried in the same cemetery as Carol's mother, stepfather, and sister, as well as the wards. So they're all buried in the same cemetery. As for Carol Ann, she, and this is just a side note, she was the youngest female in the United States history to date, I don't know if it's to date today though, to have been tried for first degree murder. And because of her age of 14 at the time, she was too young to be incarcerated in prison. 
So for the 18 months before the trial, she was held in a mental institution. Oh, wow. And she, remember, was only 14. As I said before, Starkweather testified against her, but what really hurt her defense was the witness deputy, Sheriff Willen Romer, who claimed that she had told him that she had seen her family murdered. Wow. Did she really? I mean, I mean everything is so questionable. It was noticed that the prosecutor was not pushing for the death penalty for her because she was so young. So young. But as he quoted as saying, even... 14-year-old girls must recognize they cannot go on eight-day murder sprees. The jury did convict Fugate, and she received a life sentence. She was paroled in June 1976. She changed her name and moved to Lansing, Michigan. She was married in 2007, and on August 5, 2013, she and her husband were involved in a terrible accident in which her husband died, and she was seriously injured. She's now 77 years old and has always professed her innocence in this Nebraska killing spree. No, duh. It's not going to be until on her deathbed that she tells the truth. I don't think so. I I think at this point, I mean, I watched some interviews Mm -hmm. um, with her from when she was really young and then middle age and then even older, and she sticks by her story. Nothing. She hasn't wavered at all. Well, maybe she's telling the truth. She was this perfect prisoner when she was in jail. She learned a new trade. She, I mean, to this day says that she is innocent. Interesting. That's my story. You will never know. About the killing spree in Nebraska, January 1958. I never heard that. I never heard about that. It was. I thought it was interesting. Well, it's really especially because it's still up in the air thing. Well, the thing is, is the thing is, is that (laughs) she's chugging her beer. That's why she didn't laugh at me. The thing is, is that he's really not that intelligent. So unless his defense told him to lie, which isn't that like illegal? Why would he? (laughs) Why would he all of a sudden? He's not. Doesn't seem like he's that intelligent to come up with the fact that she helped with the killings. Oh, I'm sure he's manipulative. I'm, sh- I'm sure he's easy. I mean, that doesn't take a whole lot of brain to say, well, I I didn't kill everybody. Although he already knew he was going to the death. But then why per- admit to some and not the others and like be specific about jealousy or trigger happy or, you know what I mean? Like he, re- he had some detail there. It's not like she killed him. I killed her. Like it just, I don't know. Unless he, I think she, at his trial, she said that she was a victim and, you know, she witnessed all this stuff. And so then to collaborate against her, he kind of, I see. So it could be that too. But if she really was a victim, can you imagine how scary that had to have been being 13 and witnessing all of that stuff and then going to a psychiatric ward for so long Mm -hmm. and then going to jail and going to jail getting your life back and finding out that your whole family is dead can you imagine i mean it it would be it's sad both ways i mean all those lives were lost both ways it's terrible it's absolutely terrible yeah sick person people whoever it's awful yep and she said that she had broken up with him even before he came that day 
and he just kept coming around. So that's why her why her mom stepped her in, mom finally. stepped in and said, "Listen, she said no, go away. We don't want you here." And then that's when he turned on them. Because we we've we've both been young and stupid and in love when we were thirteen, but I I still knew what right from wrong though. You still knew that killing. <laughs> <laughs> was the wrong thing to do i i, I mean it's i don't know it's very That's confusing really confusing wow all right well my beer is gone <laughs> so my haunted tale is covering a location that's different to other locations that we've covered all right so we've done the haunted house we've done museums we've done bridges bridges we've done that twice we've done dolls, dolls. <laughs> <laughs> we've done hotels so this is a haunted college oh this is the university of nebraska lincoln oh. okay so a few buildings at the university are haunted and if you went to this school and you've witnessed any of these hauntings, send them to us. I'd love to hear your personal stories of this. So the first building I'm going to cover is the Nyhart Hall. The building was used as an infirmary in the 30s and 40s for polio outbreaks. Many rooms in the building housed the sick and the dying. It is now the residence center. During its time of holding polio patients, one room was said to house a sick woman who was very ill and could not go outside, but she loved the outside. Mm. So she kept her curtains open to see outside. And to this day, those who reside in her old room are in a constant battle of curtains opening and curtains closing. <laughs> <laughs> they will close their curtains and leave the building. And when they look up to their room, the curtains are open. We're jumping right in. There's really no history here. There's a little bit and then haunting. <laughs> the residence life services supervisor at the time of this article I read said that a ghost that the office had dubbed a she stacks the loose change in the two safes in the building. What? So nickels are stacked on top of nickels and dimes are stacked on top of dimes within oh, the safe. convenient. If you it sounds like me as a ghost. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> very organized let's organize this safe it's a little too dirty for me a Nyhart resident director reported quote other legends in the building include moving moving chairs in the lounge mysterious guitar playing in the basement and a wandering apparition in the garden mm. okay so the next building is the old father hall so it's so this one isn't really haunted, but it has a little spooky story behind it. Okay. I guess in 1983, on Halloween, Professor Hardy Jones, he was suffering depression, and he was unable to cope with the recent divorce from his wife, walked off an open window ledge, and ended his life. Oh. He fell 10 stories. Oh, how awful. So the next place is Pound Hall. It's a residence hall. Mm -hmm. Apparently, there's a ghost there named Lucy. She was a student from the 60s. And apparently, she used her desk chair to break a window from the fifth floor and fell to her death. Huh? Reports of Lucy standing. <laughs> was she sitting in the chair when she... No, she... <laughs> she broke she 
broke the window with fly her out chair. with the chair. <laughs> I'm stuck to this chair. She. <laughs> I just wanted to break the window. She threw the chair against the window and then broke jumped. the window and then jumped from the fifth floor. The reports of Lucy standing in her. No, this is all apparently like this is all a legend. Mm-hmm. But so apparently, though, Lucy or a spirit is seen standing in this one particular room. And she's like stands over the bed, which I read is actually the same bed from when she was there. <laughs> yeah, I can probably. That. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hopefully the mattress isn't the same. That would suck. And she's seen and heard sitting at her desk. Oh, wow. That is creepy. Yes. Really. Yes. The next and the last building I'm going to cover, which has a lot of hauntings, is the temple building. This, my dear mother, is the theater department. <laughs> Ghosts love the theater. <laughs> uh, they do, apparently. The one in, at our college is haunted, too. Known as Johnny Carson School of Theater and Film, it's haunted, been haunted for decades. No one is fearful of the spirits. They aren't threatening, but it's just known that they're there. Again, just like the Moore Theater in episode five, <laughs> the energy of the performers left on stage or just the energy from being moved from a performance may be the cause of the hauntings there. During construction of the building in the spring of 1906, a young carpenter, he was actually a recently enrolled drama student as well, fell to his death from the building's rafters. Oh. Four stories. I had a lot of people falling or jumping in this story. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that until now. Continuing construction, the construction workers noticed that tools would disappear and other carpenters would hear the young man screaming. Oh. You just hear, like, somebody falling and yelling. Over 100 years later, there's still unexplained music and noises still reported in this area. Dallas Williams was the theater chairman and professor from 1944 to 1971. He dedicated his life to the arts. He had a heart attack and died in the theater school in 1971. He was known while he was alive to grab his students' attention by throwing chairs across the rooms. And to this day, it's said that he continues to do so. Chairs are heard being thrown in rooms where there aren't even chairs. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) He is seen on several occasions with his, quote, signature buzz cut and cheerful grin. (laughs) And a chair in his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Students claim to see him in which was his favorite seat which was to the right of the sound booth in the back of the balcony of Howell Theater. Julie Hagemeyer, at the time of this 2000 article, I read she was the theater department general manager. She said that echoes of someone tap dancing on the Howell stage are reported as well. Mm. She also stated that a little girl haunts the prop attic. So apparently they were doing the play A Woman in Black and a ghostly woman carries a doll that represents her dead child in the play. Okay. And so they had taken apart various dolls in the prop room to like create the perfect doll doll for the performance. Yeah. So they locked up the attic and they went to perform or whatever or leave. And when they returned to the locked attic, 
Someone had aligned the doll's parts and placed the matching heads with the bodies. <gasps> Hagemeyer said a large costume donation, which had been locked in a storage closet, was found thrown about the building after a summertime performance. Quote, only one person had the key and that key was hidden. The costumes were either missing, twisted, or mutilated. Oh my gosh. We had to hunt for them in all the temple's nooks and crannies. Interesting. Shadow figures in a locked sound booth are seen. Mysterious applause seems to come high up from the balcony. And this is my favorite story of this. A custodian, while cleaning the stage set in the early hours, reports doing so under a mysterious spotlight on the stage as he cleaned. So as he was <laughs> cleaning the stage, somebody... A spirit turned the spotlight on him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what a performance that was. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, now, can you name a, a campus that is not haunted? I know, seriously, though. I wonder if there is. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... That would be... Find a campus that is not haunted. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And there's so many different people that come through and... Yeah, and most campuses are very old, so mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I was thinking about that. I'm sure most campuses are haunted. Yes. With all the stress and anxiety that's associated with school, you know, tests and getting the good grades and, and the romances. Romances, I was just going to say that, that happen and, and deaths, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that happen, so I just can't imagine. I know that the school that you, you and I both attended is very, one of the buildings is very we haunted. We are totally going to do a whole episode <laughs> on that place because I had a lot of experiences yeah. there when I went there. And that wasn't even the haunted building until she no. moved in there. <laughs> that was the newest building on campus, so I don't know. <laughs> so, Mom, I actually have a little surprise for you. Lovely. I have a personal story from oh. Nebraska as well. Great. So we had a few people write in. This was my favorite, and I chose it as my favorite that I want to share with you all. It is from a listener named Angel. She lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, and her story was super intriguing, so I want to share it. All right. So she wrote, My husband and I didn't realize that we moved into the apartment where a woman was murdered in her bedroom by her boyfriend in 2007. Oh, Yes, yeah, so this is true crime and paranormal. <laughs> we found out from a neighbor a week after living there. <laughs> By the way, we had know? no idea when we signed the lease. Ugh. He had broken into the apartment building, had tried strangling her, but ended up cutting her neck. Mm. After hearing from the neighbor, I looked into it and found police records and news reports. And she sent those to me, too. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll just share the pictures. He's scary looking. After the man killed her, from my understanding, he went to the fridge, grabbed a beer, and sat on the couch before he left. Watched her bleed out, I guess. Oh. The lady's name was Maria, and from my understanding, she was a really nice lady. So Angel and I messaged back and forth and chatted about some of the hauntings that occur in her apartment now. Oh. She said that Maria scratches me. And she'll come in the bed and move my blanket or pull on my pillows. I just want to know if she's ready to cross over. Oh. So. she trying to get. 
she's been angel's attention or yeah it really sounds like she's really trying to get angel's attention and angel's had um some paranormal investigators come in with some equipment and try to like communicate with her yeah and angel really wants you know, we, we really want them to cross over we want maria to be what's at holding peace. what's holding her back i don't know i wonder what maybe because it happened so suddenly there's so much emotion in her death it was it was either a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend. I wasn't quite sure, but it's just really sad. And so I guess the new landlord of the apartment complex won't allow any more investigate. Like they don't want another investigation there. So I see. Yeah, sad and scary. But would you, mom? Would you live in a place that you knew somebody was murdered in? If I knew, so if you're stuck in a lease, you're stuck in a lease. That's but, what I was gonna say. Poor Angel and her husband can't get out because they signed a lease. I know. But knowing ahead of time somebody was murdered, um, I don't know. Like some people, I don't know if they'd really be affected by that. I don't know. Maybe because I do believe in spirits and stuff and like energies, I wouldn't. I think there's a difference between someone dying in a place mm-hmm. and someone being murdered in Agreed. a place. Agreed. Angel's so, brave. Because she's lived there now for a few years. Angel's a brave, so brave her, lady. Her lease has come and gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe at this point she has a relationship almost. Right. Because it's not like Maria is the sinister one. It's not like she's the murderer. But I guess the murderer is claiming he's not sane. And so he's in a psychiatric psychiatric hospital. So they must have found him. So they didn't put him in. They must have found him insane. Yeah, he didn't go to prison. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to claim insanity and actually pass because a lot of people try that. Ooh, the bad guy. Well, if he's insane, he's a sick guy. So hopefully he'll be where he's at for a long time. And hopefully Maria will find peace somehow. Yeah, interesting story. Yeah, so send us your true crime paranormal stories, guys. And Angel, thank you very much for yeah, thank you so much sharing, for sharing that with us. That was, I, like I said, I got a couple. There was um, another listener who said she lived on a military barracks that was haunted. And she sent me some really cool pictures and video, which we know from experience those military <laughs> barracks yeah, and homes again, are super is haunted. there a military <laughs> base that is not haunted? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I've loved all the stories that we've gotten and... We will share them. We haven't quite decided. Should we share them with the state or should we do like a little episode of all of our little listener stories that are coming in? Because they're pretty, pretty good. Yeah, we just got you one today that is just so mind blowing. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. We haven't decided yet. Yeah. So keep the stories So just coming. keep them coming and we'll figure out what to do with them. <laughs> well, thank you guys for sharing your stories and for listening. Yes, keep sharing. Yes, share them to our email address, which is killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just message us on Facebook at Killer Hangover Podcast is our page. You can find us there. We're also on Instagram at Killer Hangover. I always post on the social media little things from the episode, pictures about what we've covered, links to articles and stuff that were true crime, paranormal stuff. So you can always find us there. Yep check out the wannabe james dean yes i will post a picture i'm anxious to go grab my phone and find a picture of him so well this was fun mom episode 20 is next week y'all oh yeah and that's where we're gonna do same place different time same place different time 
we are going to be covering something in the state of Iowa. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Be prepared. Well, this was fun. Cheers, Mama. I love you, kid.